Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, December 2nd, 2021, and tonight is the fifth night of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah! And tonight's discussion will center on Shemitah, the sabbatical year, and then three other pieces on the subject of Hanukkah in honor of this wonderful holiday, and I want to wish every one of you a very happy Hanukkah. So, this year is the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year, every seven years. It becomes relevant in different ways at different times during the year, as we discussed when we had our mini-series on this subject a while ago. For example, vegetables are starting to come to market from Israel that are subject to the Shemitah rules, however you apply them, as we discussed earlier. And also remember, aside from the agricultural aspect of Shemitah, this is a year of Shabbos, as we discussed. And it requires ongoing consciousness and reminders to keep it meaningful for us. We discussed various aspects of how Shemitah applies to us and is meaningful to us and has certain values and outlooks in, in addition to specific actions. But we need to be reminded of that. I saw something that expresses Shemitah beautifully and powerfully. And it was a helpful and needed reminder to me of what Shemitah should be doing for us this year. And for that reason, I share it with you now. It is a poem titled The Moment by Margaret Atwood. <clears throat> the moment when after many years of hard work and a long voyage, you stand in the center of your room, house, half acre, square mile, island, country, knowing at last how you got there and say, I own this, is the same moment when the trees unloose their soft arms from around you, the birds take back their language, the cliffs fissure and collapse, the air moves back from you like a wave, and you can't breathe. No, they whisper, you own nothing. You were a visitor, time after time, climbing the hill, planting the flag, proclaiming. We never belonged to you. You never found us. It was always the other way around. That is precisely what Shemitah is teaching us this year. I'd like to share with you a piece based on an essay of Rabbi Chaim Jachter that starts with a classic discussion about Hanukkah 
which is, how do we light the Hanukkah lights one night after the other? And that's the subject of a dispute in the Talmud between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, the Academy of Shammai and the Academy of Hillel. Beis Shammai says, on the first night of Hanukkah, we light eight lights. On the second night, seven. Each night decreasing by one until the last night of Hanukkah, we light one light. Beis Hillel says just the opposite. On the first night of Hanukkah, we light one light. The second night, two lights. Each night increasing until the eighth night, we light all eight candles. And that, of course, is our practice, according to Beis Hillel. And the reason that Beis Hillel tells us to light in ascending order, one, two, three, is based on the principle in the Talmud, in Jewish law, of malin bakodesh. We always enhance sanctity. We always grow greater in holiness. Start out with one, two is holier, three is even holier, four is also much holier. So we keep ascending in holiness. Okay, that's our practice. But this concept of malin bakodesh, we increase and enhance holiness in the order in which we do religious rituals. What does that mean in practical terms? So in order to explain this, let me start with a different question. There's a prayer that we say on Hanukkah. We say it in the Shemona Esrei, the Amidah. We also say it in the Benching, Birkat Amazon. It starts with the paragraph Al-Hanisim. We thank God for the miracles that he performed. And then there's a paragraph that describes very briefly the Hanukkah story. Bimei matis yo ben Yochanan koin gadol chashmano yuvonov kisha amda malchus yavon arshal amcha Yisrael. In the days of matis Yahu, the son of Yochanan, the koin gadol, the high priest, and his sons, the Assyrian Greeks rose against us to prohibit us from following our religion. But a small band rose up against them. And God helped them to be successful. And the victory of Hanukkah is celebrated every year at this time. The beginning of the paragraph, we meet this person, Matis Yahu. He is the son of Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Yochanan, the high priest. Yochanan Kohen Gadol is a very interesting person. Now, I must point out before we go any further that there is somewhat of a dispute about exactly who this Yochanan Kohen Gadol is. But according to at least one of the main opinions, he is the same person who is referred to a number of times in the Talmud a very interesting person, and I'm going to tell you about him in just a moment. But the question to start with is, why do we need to know the name of Matisyahu's father? 
Why doesn't the prayer just start Bime Matisyo in the days of Matisyo? Yes, it's true. In Jewish law, a person is named my name, the son of my father's name. Yes, that's generally true. But it's also true in the Torah that often we find a person referred to just by their name. Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. Avraham Avinu, Avraham our forefather. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher. Why do we have to know the father's name of Matis Yo, this person, Yochanan Kohen Gadol? Well, as I said to you, he is a very, very interesting person. First of all, he's a very important person in the Talmud. Number one, he is a Kohen Gadol. The high priest was the highest spiritual leader of the Jewish people, and at certain times in history, he was also the highest temporal leader of the Jewish people. He was a very powerful man. But not only that, he was a great, respected scholar. We have within the Talmud five different decrees, pieces of legislation that are very significant. They take broad stances in Jewish law that he decreed and that were followed by the Jewish people. He was a great, great scholar. But then the Talmud tells us something that is just astounding. The Talmud tells us that Yochanan Kohen Gadol served as the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, for 80 years. Now, I don't know exactly how old that makes him. 195, I mean, something like that. He had to have been in his 90s. And after serving as a Kohen Gadol, as the highest spiritual leader of the Jewish people for 80 years, he lost his faith and he became a heretic, an Apicurus. So now the question is even stronger. Why on Hanukkah? Do we make reference at the beginning of this paragraph that describes to us what Hanukkah is all about? Why do we even mention this person who, in such a bizarre, horrifying way, at the age of, I don't know, 90-something, went off the path and left religious Judaism, left belief and faith? Very, very strange. A very complex individual but very strange that he should be so prominently mentioned in association with Hanukkah. So listen to this answer, because I think that it is remarkably insightful. It relates to something that I said a couple of weeks ago in a different context. There's a rabbi in New Jersey. His name is Rabbi Joel Grossman. And when he was a teenager... <clears throat> he was kind of the assistant to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein when Rabbi Feinstein would come to visit in Muncie, New York. Rabbi Feinstein, of course, was the greatest Torah leader and scholar of his generation. 
and his daughter and son-in-law lived in Muncie, New York. And when he would come to visit them in Muncie, this Rabbi Joel Grossman, but at that time he was just Joel, he was a teenager, he's the person who would drive him around, he would carry his bags, he would escort him to the synagogue, he would assist him while Rabbi Feinstein was there. It's a very great honor to be able to spend time in the immediate proximity to such a great person, such a great scholar. And Rabbi Grossman noticed when he was with Rabbi Feinstein, and remember, this is when Rabbi Feinstein was in his late 80s at the time of this story. Joel, I mean, I, I don't want to refer to him disrespectfully as Rabbi Grossman, but at that time, Joel, teenager Joel, he noticed that Rabbi Feinstein utilized every single moment to study Torah. Even if he was in the synagogue, if there was even a brief pause in the prayers, he would open up a book, he would open up a Mishnah and begin reviewing. He didn't waste a second of time. And Rabbi Grossman was just amazed. Here he is. He's already the greatest scholar in the world. He knows this stuff backwards and forwards by heart. And so he said, Rebbe, you've mastered the Torah so many times. Why do you have to look for every moment and second and two minutes to continue studying? You already know it. And Ramosha Feinstein gave him an answer that is just stunning. He said to this young man, if Yochanan Kohen Gadol could become a heretic after 80 years of serving as the high priest, Moshe Feinstein could also lose his way and go off the path. And if I'm not growing as a Jew every single moment, I could, God forbid, lose my way, lose my connection to God, lose my connection to Torah. And so, even now, I have to grab every second to study, to cleave to God. Rav Moshe Feinstein teaches us that the shocking conclusion of Yochanan Kohen Gadol's life is a reminder that we must be in a mindset of constant spiritual growth. Because the alternative to growth is not steadiness. It's not staying where we are. The only alternative to growth is decline. It's one or the other. There's no such thing spiritually. There's no such thing as treading water. You don't stay the same. You're either growing or, God forbid, you're falling. And this is the message that we highlight by adding an additional light each night of Hanukkah. This is what Malim Bakodesh means in very practical, relevant terms. It means that I start out with one light on the first night. But on the second night, I can't remain at the same level. I've got to grow. I've got to increase. Because if I don't increase, I will go down. I've got to go to two. And the third night, I've got to go to three.
Rav Yochanan Kohen Gadol, his life is essential to us for understanding the way that we light the Hanukkah menorah. It is an example of the expression of what Base Hill was teaching us in practical terms. Either you ascend or you will surely descend. And that's why he's mentioned. So that we will remember when we light each night, tonight was the fifth night, one more than last night, we have to grow. We have to be holier tonight than we were last night. We have to be holier at the end of this learning together than we were at the beginning. Because if we're not growing, we're declining. Allow me to share with you an insight from Rabbi Micha Odenheimer. He says that the miracle of Hanukkah may seem like a minor miracle. There was a small jar of oil. It was only enough for one day. It lasted eight days. Didn't last forever. It lasted for eight days. A minor miracle. We've discussed earlier this week some of the ramifications and significance of that miracle. But it's a small thing. Now, there is a term in Jewish literature, classical Jewish literature, for what happened. And the term is hama'at hamachazik et hamarubah. When a small thing, when a little thing, holds something very, very great. And this phrase, hama'at hamachazik es hamarubah, this is used in several different contexts. It's used in connection with the Hanukkah menorah. It was a small miracle that contained within it a gigantic meaning and secret and significance. It is also the phrase that's used to describe Noah's Ark. Think about it. The Torah gives us the size of Noah's Ark. It wasn't that big. It wasn't as big as the carnival cruise lines that we have today. And yet somehow two of every single animal and bird and insect fit. How did it fit? It was a miracle. Hama'at, hamachazik, es It was a small vessel that was able to contain a miraculously large amount. The Mishkan, the sanctuary that was built by the Jewish people, was a relatively small building. It contained God. Hama'at hamachazik es And we see the same phenomenon within the natural world. In biology, it's DNA. This double helix within our cells, tiny, tiny, can't see it with the naked eye. But that contains the, contains the plans for the entire human body, just in that DNA. Hama'at, hamachzik, es hamaruba. 
Think about the anatomy of sight, where through this tiny, tiny opening of our pupil, we're able to see majestic vistas and mountains and seas. The little that holds much is the triumph of quality over quantity. And that's the message of Hanukkah. The small number of soldiers who were able to overcome the gigantic Assyrian Greek army. The message of Hanukkah is that we need to remember the small. Holiness, the pure oil, was a small jar of oil. We don't need a lot of holiness. We just need a drop, a tiny amount. And from that tiny drop of holiness, everything can come. A flame is holy, even though a flame is tiny. Because when you light a flame with another flame, you still have the first flame in its original size. The miracle of Hanukkah, the secret of Hanukkah, the message of Hanukkah is that when it comes to holiness, Hama'at Machazik Es the tiny, the small, encompasses multitudes. And this insight delivers to us a great strength. Please listen to the words of Dr. Tsuriel Roshi. He spoke at a Hanukkah lighting ceremony at Ariel University in Israel a couple of days ago. And this is what he said. Fascinating insight. He said, usually, we distinguish between what is fragile and unfragile. Fragile, like glass. You have to be careful, because if you drop it, it'll break. It's fragile. Unfragile is like plastic. If you drop it, nothing's going to happen. So there's fragile, and there's unfragile. But there's a third type of object. The third type of object is anti-fragile. Anti-fragile refers to substances in nature that are not only unfragile, but the attempt to break them makes them stronger. Think of this example. You have a candle. You can blow it out with your breath. But if you have a raging fire, and then the fire is caught in a wind... The wind increases the fire. It makes it stronger. Fire in this example is unfragile. The more we exert a muscle, the more we cause it to resist, the stronger it gets. When our immune system encounters a hostile substance in a small dose, like a vaccine, it doesn't harm us. It is something that causes 
a defense to that substance to be developed within our body and immunity is enhanced. Hanukkah is a holiday that reminds us that we are anti-fragile. A mighty empire tried to bring about the loss of our identity. They didn't only fail, the opposite occurred. We emerged from that experience hardened like never before. We clung to our faith, we clung to our land under impossible circumstances. Just like we read in the Haggadah on Pesach, B'chol dor v'dor, om dimaleinu l'chaloseinu. In every generation, they rise up against us to try to destroy us. But they don't only not succeed. The challenges and hardships we face only serve to strengthen us. And it's these little candles the small drop of holiness that reminds us of this enormous power. Hanukkah is an opportunity to stop and think about what makes us an unfragile people and what can make each of us into an anti-fragile human being. There is so much going on around us and to us that makes us feel small, that challenges us. Hanukkah reminds us that small can be more powerful and challenges can make us more strong, more able to flourish in life. Allow me to share one last piece. And this is partially based on an essay written by Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig. <clears throat> every Yom Tov, every Jewish holiday has a component of its observance that takes place at home and a component that ideally takes place in the synagogue as a community, of course, except during COVID, but under normal circumstances, there's a component to each. Each Yom Tov, each Jewish holiday has a slightly different balance of how much is at home and how much is as a community. Hanukkah is the only Jewish holiday that is primarily centered at home, which was a conscious decision of our rabbis in how they legislated this holiday because the events of Hanukkah don't necessarily point to that value. They don't necessarily point to that. The military Victory? Why would that be celebrated at home and not as a community? 
The miracle of the oil happened in the Beit HaMikdash? Why isn't that primarily celebrated in the synagogue? Yes, of course, we do light a menorah in the synagogue, but that's only a custom. That's not a law. The obligation to light the menorah is in our home. If we have not lit a menorah in our home, even if we've attended some kind of public gathering, we have not fulfilled our obligation. But the story doesn't have anything to do with home. Why did that become an essential element in how Hanukkah is observed? Because it's clear that it is. The Talmud says the way that we observe Hanukkah is Ner Hanukkah mitzvah lanichal Pesach Beisot. The mitzvah of lighting a menorah is to light it next to the door of our home. Home is central to the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Now, whether we light the menorah outside our home, as is common in Israel, or we light it inside our home, as is our custom here, but it's connected to our home primarily. The Rambam, Maimonides, goes so far as to say, in describing the mitzvah of Hanukkah, mitzvasa, the mitzvah of Hanukkah is, madlik. the mitzvah is that every single home in which a Jewish family is living should have a menorah lit in it. It's connected to the home. Why? Rabbi Rosenzweig suggests it's because it is the home and only the home that is the appropriate integration of physicality and spirituality. Our home is a place that embodies consistency, security, sanctity, and dignity. Our home is a place that is conducive to cultivating the values that foster our spiritual growth. The cultural struggle of Hanukkah revolves around many of these core issues. The Assyrian Greeks targeted specific commandments that they forbade us from observing. Rosh Chodesh, observing Shabbos, bris milah. But more broadly, the Assyrian Greeks sought to create an attack on Judaism per se, the spirituality of Judaism. As the Rambam says, The goal of the Assyrian Greeks was to get the Jewish people to forsake their beliefs and to forsake their religious practices. In fact, there is one version of the Medrash which says that the Assyrian Greeks stretched out their hands to negate Bibatehem, the Jewishness of their homes. Hanukkah is anchored in the home which is where those values are transmitted. And by anchoring Hanukkah in our home, 
It points out to us the centrality of our home for our Jewish identity, for our values, for the transmission of tradition from one generation to the next. Our home is what we celebrate on Hanukkah. There's a great story. I've shared it with some of you before in a different context. And it's told by the great Hasidic Rebbe, Rebunim. And he tells the story of a man named Isaac, the son of Yekish. He was a very poor man and he lived in Krakow in Poland. One night, Isaac had a dream. He had a dream and in his dream he saw that there was a very large treasure buried near a bridge in Prague. And he saw in the dream the directions how to get to this location. It was so vivid. He woke up and at first he ignored it. It sounded surreal to him. But then the next night he had the same dream again. And he continued to have the same dream. And he started to think, maybe this is not so foolish. Maybe for some reason there's some message that is coming to me. I should go to this place and dig up this treasure. So he decided to take a journey from Krakow to Prague. Long journey, especially for a very poor man. He followed the directions in his dream and they were perfect. And he came right to the bridge that he had seen in his dream. And he knew exactly where to dig to find this treasure. But there was one problem. The bridge was guarded by the king's guards. And he could not get near the bridge without being stopped. And so he stood at a distance watching day after day to try to figure out how is he going to get this treasure that he knows from his dream is buried under this bridge. After several days of this, the captain of the guards noticed him standing there and came over to him and said, what are you doing here? I see you standing here day after day. What are you doing here? And so Isaac told him the story. He said, I had a dream and there's a treasure and I want to be able to dig underneath the bridge to get this treasure for myself. The guard, the captain started laughing. You foolish Jew. You think a dream like that is true? I had a dream. That there is some Jew named Isaac that lives in Krakow and under his house, there's a treasure. You think I'm going to follow that silly, foolish dream? And at that moment, Isaac understood. And he rushed back home. And he dug under his own home. And he found the treasure. So often we go searching for treasure and riches and gratification and satisfaction far, far away. But here's the truth. The real treasure is in our own home. 
The treasure of Judaism is in our home. The treasure of values, the treasure of sensitivity, of harmony, the treasure of growth is in our home. This is the precise moment we need to remind ourselves through observing Hanukkah in our homes and to internalize the meaning and the purpose of home in our lives. Since March 2020, I think it is fair to say for every single one of us that home, what it is, what it means for us, has changed drastically. And it's dynamic. It has changed in different ways and it continues to change at different times in different ways. For some of us, home imprisons us in forcing loneliness. For some, home traps us in boredom or the chaos of family at unusually close quarters. But home has also protected us. Home has given us the opportunity to gain the benefits of solitude, of introspection, of rearranging our priorities. At certain times, home has taken over as our place of prayer. Home has taken over as our place of study. Home has taken over as our place of transmission of values like never before, perhaps, in our lives. Home has become for us a place of safety and refuge. On this Hanukkah, when we focus on choosing our home to celebrate our core victories, cultural and spiritual, the victories of Hanukkah, we should also reflect on the new meanings of home that have filled our lives. Some aspects we may be anxious to shed and leave behind, hopefully soon. But I hope each of us will consider some aspects that we will retain and cherish and expand. And the example of what home means for Hanukkah should lead the way. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening, a great Shabbos, and a very, very happy and joyous Hanukkah. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.